So in Revelation chapter 14, uh, the beginning in chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 to keep us in, in the context here. Uh, the beginning of chapter 14 is a picture of all the believers rejoicing in heaven because they were saved from their sin by God through Jesus Christ. And so we get a picture of this. Um, it begins, in, as you go back to chapter 13, it's a picture of uh, the non-believers and what's happening with them and... and um, the juxtaposition of their condition and our condition as believers in heaven. So chapter 14, verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard it was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no lie found, for they are blameless. Then we come to... Verse 6, and he says, I saw another angel. Now, it's been a while since we've seen angels in Revelation proclaiming things, but um, here's another one that he sees here. So, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The word of the Lord. And we'll stop here um, today. Um, one of the things that we have seen in the book of Revelation is the number seven. It's a book of sevens within sevens within sevens. It's just a, a number of one of the numbers of completion. Um, it's a, a, a godly number, and you don't see it spelled out numerically here as you do with the seven trumpets and the and the seven bowls that are come later. But this is in a series of seven um, things that John has seen with these different angels that are, that are coming forward. And so now we're in this fifth cycle here in this part of sevens here. And, and there's this sort of this pause that's taking place. And where we see ourselves is it's a view of heaven at the beginning of chapter 14. And now what we're seeing is a view of earth but from above. So last week, if you remember, one of the things we talked about was um, the perspectives, as we'll see in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes talks about how terrible things are um, under the sun. But then he'll say under heaven, and he gives an eternal perspective. He gives the heaven perspective. And so this is the way that the Bible sees the world in realistic ways, but also tells us we need to see the world through eyes of faith and not just through materialistic viewpoints, as if there's nothing else that exists but what we see. And if that is all that we believe there is, then it is we are to be people most pitied. But this is a view of earth, but it is a view of earth from above. And so we see this angel. I saw another angel, and the ESV says, flying directly overhead. Okay, so that gives you, you know, we all think of airplanes. I do anyway. There's something flying directly overhead. That's an airplane. Well, back then, they didn't have, when this is written, they didn't have airplanes then. So what were they thinking? You know, they're looking up and they see birds in the sky and things, you know. So they knew what this 
is, so directly overhead, but it's an interesting word. King James says, in the midst of heaven. I saw an angel in the midst of heaven. Now, we change that translation a little bit from the days of King James because we hear the word heavens and we think heaven, where God dwells. So this is, but that's not the Greek word here. He's not an angel flying around up there in heaven. That's what we saw on Mount Zion where the Lamb is and the throne is and all these things are in heaven. This is, as the NIV says, in midair. And that's a pretty good translation of it, but the New American Standard comes through for us and gives us the, the best um, translation for this, um, in mid-heaven. I saw the angel in mid-heaven. Now, still that might throw people off and think heaven and heaven, but no, the heavens are, the heavens declare the glory of God, and we're talking about outer space in this way with the stars. But when you look up in the sky where the birds fly and things like this, it's called in the mid-heaven, and that's what the word is, it's the meso, means in the midst of, meso uranus, it's in the midst of the heavens. That's where this angel is, high above it all, overseeing everything. When he proclaims with a loud voice, it's above everything. The idea being the whole world will hear this proclamation that um, is coming to everyone. And overhead, proclaiming this message for the world to hear, and it's called an eternal gospel. And that's an interesting word, and first word is the word because we, we hear it a lot and we think about it, and sometimes you might not make the connection between the word evangelism or the, the word evangelism and know that it's the same root word as the word gospel because gospel and evangelical sound nothing alike. So, you know, if you ever watched uh, what's the show with, with, with Sheldon, I know you like it. Big Bang Theory, yeah, I'm not recommending it. However, I know, I've watched it and it's funny. He has fun with flags or something like that. He does a little thing. I love to do one with words. And so the thing with words, it, this is an interesting thing to me. And I think it teaches us a little bit to know um, what these words mean. Uh, an eternal gospel is an eternal evangel. It's an eternal, in the Greek, euangelon. And it means, and you hear the word angel in it. Okay, Angels are, it's a Greek word for messenger. You is a Greek word prefix for good so this is a good message and actually when it says he proclaims it what he's doing is is he's he's um you he's he's evangeling the evangel he is good newsing the, he's, to proclaim this proclamation so you so how do we get gospel out of that and it's from old english and it's where you put the e on the end of old old english so that the word goad meant good and the word Bell meant word, and so go spell. And for a long time, uh, so the good word, the good message was the goad spell. And it would be pronounced goad spell. But then they said, well, it actually would sound better to say gospel because it sounds like God. And gradually over time, it gets um, softened out, so we have the word gospel. So when we hear that there's an eternal gospel, this good message, this good word, this goad spell, uh, it's not just important so that you know the background of words, because some people could care less about that, like they care less about math, which I don't understand either, but it matters because of what a gospel was, what a euangelon was, because there was a euangelon of Caesar, there was a gospel of Caesar that people heard, and that people believed and that people understood what the gospel of Caesar was so that when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ immediately the thinking goes into 
wait a minute, you're putting him in opposition to something. And we don't hear that as easily when we're listening to our gospel. When we hear this, we're like, you know, in our country, you know, we don't see the challenge that's being made by Jesus Christ to Caesar. We don't see the challenge. And the challenge isn't that Jesus Christ is coming on the scene and saying, I'm going to take over the government. I am going to now rule. Because this is what they were mistakenly thinking of Jesus Christ when he was first born. That he's going to come, he's going to take over Jerusalem, we're going to drive the Romans out, we're going to control the armies, we're going to take over the world, just like King David was supposed to do. But there was, and there continues to be, a direct challenge to Caesar. A direct challenge to the powers that, one, control the earth, but even more so the powers to which the earth are enslaved, addicted to, and worship. And that's what the call of Jesus Christ is. Do not worship anybody, anything, but God above. And Jesus Christ proclaiming himself as his son, as his Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christos, the anointed one, which means the king. Your king has come. As Pilate asked him, are you saying you're a king? And he kind of gives him that, well, not in the way you think in which I'm saying it. And that's basically what his answer is. Not an earthly king like, like they're trying to make me out to be. Not like all the other kings of the earth who are supposed to be underneath the rule of God. Instead, I am a king. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am he who was before Abraham. And so the gospel of Caesar was proclaimed, and the gospel of Caesar in the Roman Empire was that Caesar was called Lord, he was called God, he was called Savior. These things are known historically. He brought peace and he brought prosperity to the citizens. Um, the gospel were, were, gospels were pronounced whenever a new Caesar was coming. When the arrival of a king or a Caesar was coming, the, the gospel will go forward of the coming of the king. And so we have to remember this is what the proclamation here is. And then comes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true king. And this angel proclaiming an eternal gospel. So particularly in the book of Revelation, as it's being written, the original reading audience being these seven churches that were experiencing persecution um, or who were falling under the sway of false teaching or losing their zeal. They were just becoming like the world. They were fearing man more than they were fearing God. Some of them looking around and saying, where's our prosperity gospel? You know, where's where's all the the Where's, why are we suffering when we're following the true king? And this is part of the purpose for the writing of the book of Revelation, so that the church through all time can have a proper understanding of these things. Because the world has been intoxicated, as we've seen, by the power of the beast. Uh, demonized state power. The, we see also the false prophets. So we have the power of government, science, medicine, uh, false religions and spirituality, all offering and promising to the people, vote for me, I'll set you free. Fear not, I am with you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will calm all your deepest fears. 
I will. I mean, imagine if you saw your your daughter dating a guy who was offering. That's what he was telling her. You'd be like, you need to leave that guy alone. That guy's he's crazy, you know. But that's what we do with the government. That's what we do with false religions. That's what we do with false, all these things that Satan has employed in the world that may very well be good things, but once they become twisted by man, as this happens, uh, and used for his purposes to still kill and destroy, then what we see are um, people who bow down and, and, and worship these things and therefore receive the mark of the beast as we've seen which isn't any physical mark or anything it might manifest itself in different ways like this but you either have the seal of God the name of God on your head and your hands are sealed by God or you're marked by the beast so you're either in one of two camps you're worshiping God the Father Son and Holy Spirit or you're worshiping Satan uh, I remember there was a, a, a really cool, I can't remember who, it, it was some youth group, probably an FCA group, um, was doing a little skit, as they are wont to do, and they had these little pieces of paper, they folded like little tents, and they put it down the middle of the, 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 um, the floor, and they were all standing over it, and they were like, this is the fence, and you know, Jesus is over here, or Christians are calling people, you know, come over here, and Satan's over here saying, don't go over there, don't go over there. And so some people go to Christ, and some people go to Satan, and then there's a bunch in the middle that just like, I don't know, I'm remaining unaffiliated, I'm not sure, I think I'll just, you know, work things out later. And then, and then the end comes. And so the ones who are on the fence see everything, they're like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to go there. And Satan's like, no, I own the fence. You're on the fence. You're already mine. We're born in, in that condition. And what this eternal gospel is, is different than these worldly gospels that the things that are in this world, things that God has placed in this world for our good, but it has been twisted by mankind and by Satan, by sin, uh, and can be perverted to a point that we've seen in history and see even today in different parts of the world that is just clearly um, and demonstrably um, demonic and evil. And then it becomes too late. How do you get out of something like this? Well, it's by this eternal gospel that's proclaimed, different than the gospel of the Caesars, different. This is a gospel that is eternal and since that it lasts forever. And never go. There's not another gospel. There's not another way that people. There's not. He's not going to do something else later. This is it. This is the one chance for salvation, and it has eternal consequences. And he's announcing. This angel is announcing this eternal gospel, proclaiming it, evangelizing it, proclaiming it to those who dwell on earth. Now there's a, a phrase that's been used consistently in Revelation called earth dwellers. And whenever you hear, see that phrase earth dwellers, that means non-believers. That's always um, used in that sense. But here, in, the word is actually those who sit on the earth. So it's a little bit different right here. And it's toward the end because what we see happening is he's, he's doing this. <clears throat> he's announcing this to those who sit on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he says, with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. So this is the point of time in which this angel is pronouncing this eternal gospel. It is the time of final judgment. The day is about to arrive. So he's announcing to the people. You need to be aware that there is a gospel. 
but we see these people who are not just earth dwellers, but earth sitters, it's almost as if they've become more entrenched. If I could put it like this, they ain't going nowhere. They're sitting. Um, it's one thing to, to live somewhere. I mean, we, we get what that is. But you can also, wherever you sit, where you live, is interesting. Sean says not listen to the sermon yet. He says, I'm glad everybody's sitting down. And my first thought was, oh, that's who this gospel is going to, the sitters. <laughs> and I know what he meant by it. But if you think about this, these are people who are in the world. They're entrenched. And the gospel's being proclaimed to them. Now, this is interesting because it's like, are they going to be converted? No, not this group of people. There's already been the two messengers that are coming. Remember, in the book of Revelation, what we tend to see is the two groups, the believers. And this can consist of people who have not yet been born, also people who have not yet been born again. But they are seen as as a consistent group, as a whole group. Whereas there's another group who maybe have not yet been born, but they will be born, but they'll never be born again. And it's to this group in the final hour where this angel is proclaiming this gospel to even give these people another chance to repent from their sin, but they're not going to. But we need to hear because we also need to proclaim this gospel as the two messengers going forward because there are still yet people who have yet to be awakened, people who have yet for the Holy Spirit to come in and cause them to be born again through the preaching of the word of Jesus Christ. As we proclaim this eternal gospel, there are those yet to be activated. There are those yet who have heard and that Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word will go in and convert. And you can't look at a person and say, that person is so obviously lost and gone that they're not of the elect. They're not going to be saved. Well, that just tells you what you believe about the gospel and how imperfect it must be that God can only save certain people because they aren't so bad. So then look at yourself and say, look in the mirror at your worst and say, oh, so you think you are good enough to be saved. And if that's what you're able to say, you don't understand the gospel. So there will be people that God will save, and the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And when we look around and are surprised at those who are there, not because they never embrace the gospel, but maybe because they embrace it at a time that we are unaware of or didn't know later, we didn't see. Um, the person that really should surprise us possibly should be us. Although we are embracing the gospel and we should be fully inspect, expecting it. But if you look at yourself and see yourself as saved, you need to be able to say, what a God we serve. That I was saved. And so then, proclaim the gospel to everybody because he saved you. He can save and will save many others. But it's through the preaching of the word done by faith. And I won't just mean preaching in the formal sense as by the pastor um, preaching the word in the congregation. But proclamation of the gospel to everybody you see in in different ways so mankind is entrenched but yet this gospel comes forth it's being proclaimed it's being proclaimed all over the world every nation tribe language people the same group we're told matthew that we're to go into all the world we're supposed to be out there we're the ones that are saving people out of this we're the ones that are converting people Um, out of this through the power of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. No one is outside the need of Christ and his salvation because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So then in verse 7, again, we see he's proclaiming this with this loud voice. And the message is, fear God, give him glory, 
because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him. So fear God, give him glory, worship him. And who is he? It's he who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So he's saying not, it's not those who have power on the earth, as we saw these different, the beast and the dragon and the false prophet and these who are on the sea and on the earth. This is the one, he made it all. This is the creator. Satan is a created being. Satan is a usurper, a liar. Um, he comes to deceive, and we are easily deceived, and so we have to be very careful of that by staying in his word and the church with other believers, uh, recognizing, as we saw at the end of the first part of chapter 14, if you look at uh, verse 4 of 14, talking about the 144,000 symbolically the entire church is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins and we looked at that and showed how that's talking about worshiping idols of any kind worshiping false gods it's these who follow the lamb wherever he goes if you follow the lamb wherever he goes then your feet won't go off to the side you won't you won't turn you follow the straight and narrow way you're following wherever he goes now we know as believers we don't do that perfectly but in heaven as believers hidden in Christ one you're treated as if you're walking the very steps of Christ in heaven you will only and always walk the very steps of Christ. You'll never desire for sin. Your conscience, your heart, your soul, everything will be purified and glorified so there will just be no desire to ever do anything sinful in any degree whatsoever. But to follow Christ keeps you from being deceived in other ways. Now, you may be deceived in slight ways. You get over here. But eventually, you know, if you have a, you're supposed to be going like this. And there's a little diversion. Yeah, there's a little bit. But as you follow these lines out further and further, I mean, eventually, those two points at the end are, are way vastly far apart. And so at some point in being deceived by your flesh, the world of Satan, you should take a look around and go, what am I doing here? You know, there's all these movies. I guess they're kind of like werewolf movies usually. It's like stay on the, don't don't stray off, you know, don't. And all of a sudden they look down, it's like, uh-oh, we're not on the path anymore. We weren't paying attention. <laughs> what do we do now? And basically the movie is, is like, it's too late now. You're going to have to go through the whole movie to figure out how you're going to get back to the path. And that can be kind of what happens to us. God's word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, so that we're able to, by his word, stay on that path. And the good news is, as a believer, if we stray, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and bring us back. But, you know, I'll talk about this a lot. Don't think you can make that little detour. Fix your life sinfully. Go up a little bit. Come back in and say, oh, now I've got my life fixed the way I wanted. I can come back in. Because God will always, if he loves you, let's go back and talk about this thing. Let's go back and look at this thing. You know in your heart, if you've lived long enough as a Christian and you've sinned in some way to whatever it may be, um, even if it, whatever you gained in a worldly, materialistic way, your conscience and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will bring you back to it. And that's what keeps a lot of people away from the church. That's what keeps a lot of people away from you as a believer. That's what can keep you away from believing a lot of this stuff because we'd rather not deal with our sin. I'd rather, let's just forget it and move on. But that's not good. If your child never learned from sticking, you know, forks in light sockets or burning his hand on the stove or something, you'd be like, what, what is your deal? Yeah, we're going to have to, somehow you have to learn from these things. And God would have us to learn 
from all these things. So he's proclaiming this gospel from this angel. And so it makes us think because of the proclamation we hear earlier in Luke chapter 2, the proclamation of the angels. <laughs> I like how parents are now going, what was that about? It was a, anyway, we had a diversion over here. Um, fear God. Give him glory. So look back at Luke 2, the proclamation of the angels to the shepherds. Now, if it were not Christmas time, I might not have thought about going back here, but I might have just because of, you know, angels proclaiming something. And so it's one of these times where we look back. And so verse 8, you know, you've got the baby being born in a manger in Bethlehem. And in that same region where the baby is born, where Jesus is born, there's uh, shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So in verse 8 and then verse 9 of chapter 2 in Luke. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord. So this is, remember, it's also we're supposed to glorify God. So um, there's this glory that just is manifesting itself as light in some way with these angels. And this glory is shining around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now this angel has told us, fear God. So far, maybe so good. So they're filled with great fear, and the angel says to them, fear not. You know, come on. There's no one of those times where it's like the Bible seems to be contradicting itself. Which is it? Do you want me to fear God or fear not? Get it straight. <laughs> you know, I'm like, um, oh, goodness. I, I, sometimes I have sermon illustrations that come to my mind that should stay there, and this one will. I will tell you what it was later. Amen. So, <laughs> you know, do I fear God or do I not fear God? And the answer is, yeah, it kind of depends on what you mean by fearing God. Because fear not is one of, if not the most repeated command in all of Scripture. Fear not, because I'm with you. But also, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's in several places. I, um, I made some notes. That's a, Job 28, 28 says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10, Proverbs 17, Proverbs 9, 10, and others quote this to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you have this fear of the Lord that the angel is saying, fear God, that's the beginning of wisdom. If you want to know the proper way of looking at things, the proper way of responding to things, the proper way to be able to get through this life, and that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing the different. You have Proverbs that say, you know, do this you know, in this situation, and then right after it will say, do the opposite in this situation. And you're like, oh, well, which is it? And the answer is, well, it depends on the situation. And that's where wisdom comes from, knowing when to apply some intelligent information in the right way at the right time. This is what wisdom is. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of these things. And so... As the angel is proclaiming to them, again in verse 2, that he says, Fear not. Well, why not? Because behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then they tell him, you know, what the sign's going to be in this manger and everything. So this angel here is pronouncing to the shepherds this good news. And this other angel in Revelation is flying through the midst of heaven and pronouncing that same gospel. But it seems to be in judgment here. But for these shepherds, it was not. Because these shepherds were lost. These shepherds were without hope. 
these shepherds had lived you know, centuries after the last prophet Malachi. And where is the Savior? Where is God? Where is the silence? Where is he? And the angels burst forth and they're like, I've got some good news for you. And they fall down in fear because they see this angel. They're fear not. Don't fear. God's got this. This is the good news to those who will turn to Christ, to those who will say, I need him. I need God. I, I recognize my lost condition. I recognize my need for a Savior. I see the beauty of Christ. I want to go to him. Whereas those who are lost in this world, the same gospel being proclaimed, and they hate it. They're entrenched. Same message as the Puritan writers would say, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So it depends on the soil of your heart. It depends on the condition of your heart. And the default condition of the human heart is hardness and even fear. There have been studies that were done with with particularly or this one with uh, with rats and what they do is they you know put a rat and they do things in a maze they would introduce a predator of some sort and the um the, the rats just you know they go crazy and they're out but when they didn't introduce a predator they put the rat in the rats begin in a state of fear as if fear is the natural state and comfort and no fear is the strange state that they have to enter into after a while. And this is the condition of a fallen world, so that people are born with in fearful states. And then when someone comes along, I mean, you know, you, you, you watch the football players, you know, they win, and they go into Disney World, and they say, hi, Dad. But they don't. Unless, <laughs> say, mama, hey, 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 mama, you know, because why? Because the mother is the first one that's there comforting our fears. And this is good. But you have to be careful that you grow as a person in Christ and that you learn that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You know, this is, this is where it is because um, the other problem that we have in the world is fear of death. So, you know, who do you fear? Um, when Abraham was uh, traveling and Abimelech was there and he lies and says that his wife is actually his sister and they come to him later, Abimelech says, hey, why'd you lie to me? Because God comes to him and says, you know, that's his wife, you better stay away from it, basically. And he says, why'd you lie to me? He said, because I knew I was traveling in a land where there was no fear of God. So no fear of God is the natural condition of man. And what we're called to do is to teach people, is to proclaim to people, to learn that the comfort, which actually is a word that means with strength, the, the strengthening that you need, the peace that enters into our chaotic lives only comes from God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit that calms our fears. If you look at Hebrews chapter 2, so Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Hebrews is real close to Revelation. If you just go back a few pages, you're bound to run into it. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 
since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, and the children being people who are going to be believers, they share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. As John Owen wrote a book called um, um, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. So that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so when the proclamation is fear God, it's not that. I know everybody's at peace. I know nobody's fearful. I know everybody, you know, it's not that. It's that you have learned to calm your fears by following man's devices. And if these things lead you away from Christ or substitutes, become substitutes for Christ, then they're demonic and the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Fear God. Worship him. He is the hope. He is the answer. So we have this true gospel as opposed to the false gospels that we have learned. And what we've seen all over the world is we see, you know, that many people are thinking, if you're believers or, or at all, you, you have the Bible in mind, you're thinking, wow, the hour of judgment must have come. Uh, but there will come a last day at some point, and the last day for you is when life, your life ends. That's it. It's appointed to man once to die, and after this to face the judgment. But there will come a day when the whole thing is wrapped up and ended. And God is yelling from the heavens, this will occur. Follow me, follow me. Be careful of false prophets and false powers. So two places to close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See how Paul writes of the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read the first six verses. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. And he goes on in Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul writes again, Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians, Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
So you got dead men walking. That's what, that's what we are without Christ. You're dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What were you doing? Following the course of this world. You can ask yourself, you know, are we alive in Christ? Good. I hope everybody in here can say, yes, amen. I am alive in Christ. Are you following the course of this world? Are you being pulled, manipulated, dragged? You know we're all being manipulated and dragged in different directions. We've known for years advertising. That's all advertising is. And now everything is advertising, whether it be politics or medicine or anything else that you possibly have. There's people learning how to manipulate and psychologically you know, guide whatever to get you to follow the course of this world. That's the spirit of the age. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants, he, Satan care less about any of us. Okay? See? People die and go to hell, great. He's going to be there too. He's more, yeah, that's what he's angry about. But where his fury is, is at the church. Furious with the church. So he wants you guys, Christian single people, Christian families, Christian children, Christian grandparents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents, all these, he wants you to follow the course of this world, which is what we were doing before we are saved. So beware. What were they doing? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Be aware that the spirit of Satan is the spirit of disobedience is at work in people today. And the greater the power the person has, and if they're apart from Christ, then the greater demonic influence can wreak in this world. But it's when you believe you're not under its power as a Christian is when Satan laughs with great delight. Verse 3, he's saying, Among whom we all once lived, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, really good people until bad things happened to us. I lost my place. We're, we're by nature um, blank slates that until somebody taught you to hate, you, you didn't know to hate. Yeah, that's not what the Bible says. That's the course of this world teaching us. Trash. We're by nature children of wrath. That's why we baptize babies. They need it too. Like the rest of mankind. But, gotta say it. Here's the big but in the Bible. But God. Being rich in mercy, which means nobody's earned it, nobody deserves it. You know, mercy is that game. Somebody's bending your fingers back, and you cry out, "Mercy!" Because I am powerless. You must have mercy on me because of His mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, the church, the believers. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We see that in Revelation on Mount Zion. The Lamb is there. The throne is there. He's surrounded. We're in heaven. We're seated with Him. We're, we're worshiping in heaven. We have all this great grand stuff. We were once dead in our sin following the course of this world. And what the Holy Spirit's job to do is to get us to know where the windy places of His Spirit The preaching and teaching, the shepherding of of um, elders and deacons, and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and all these things, so that we might no longer follow the course of this world. 
because we've been raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And how does anybody not hear that and go, yes, amen? It's because they don't want a part of it. Because without the Holy Spirit operating in our hearts, people are dead in their sin. Time's not up yet. Preach the gospel. Pray for people. Follow Christ. Let your good works be seen before the world and glorify your Father in heaven. Fear God. Don't be afraid of him. Fear him reverently. Like you do fire, but you don't love fire. And if you do, you got a problem. Okay? He's powerful. He's all-powerful. And he's good, and he's loving, and he's propitious towards us. He's gracious and loving. Let's pray. Father God, when we come to your table, it's the, the greatest tangible physical thing you've given us on this world to see um, that you are propitious towards us. Your wrath has been poured out, and that's what your body given for us, your blood poured out for us, so that uh, we would stand before you without sin. So you give us yourself in this life, as you told Peter, um, as you were going to wash his feet, and finally he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. And he says, then don't just wash my feet, but my whole body. He says, you're already clean. You just need your feet cleaned. So, Lord, we're clean. We're, as believers, we're empowered by your Holy Spirit, but we need your gospel every day to be preached to ourselves and for us to hear it from you and your word and the church and other believers. So as we come to this table, you're giving us yourself by your spirit, and we thank you. So as we celebrate Christmas, we look around and we kind of smile because it's like he's already come. The advent that we're waiting for is a second coming. And we wait for it with great eagerness and expectation as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.